Alright, so you may have noticed we're approaching a time of transition in the life of both Springs and for, for Kit and I. And it did get me to thinking about change, and how change can be a powerful catalyst for positive things. Which takes me to one of the first transitions that uh, God's people went through. It's found in the first chapter of Joshua. Joshua, see, they're in crisis. Moses has died. They're facing a time of change. They're not sure what to do about that. Now, we're not left in crisis in this place. But the Lord already had a plan then, and the Lord has a plan now. And there was a new leader coming forward, and God met that, met that man and encouraged him. And we also find God challenging him about the future and where he was to lead the people. And that takes us to Joshua, one of my favorite verses, actually. Chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Be strong and courageous. Say that with me. Be strong and courageous. Because you will lead these people to inherit the land that's more to their ancestors to give them. Join me. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Don't turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. I think there's a theme in here. <laughs> do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. This word of God for all people. Thank you, God. So Joshua was about to become very aware of God's purpose and direction in his life. Moses was dead. Joshua had been his assistant. That, but there was no contract that Joshua was going to automatically become a leader. There wasn't like a line of succession. It wasn't a given, per se. But what we did know was that this new leader was going to be in charge of bringing the Israelites into the Promised Land, which was no small task. And God was going about finding the next leader for his people. And it was God who would be directing their path into the promised land. That's the beauty of it. You know who never leaves? God. God is always with us everywhere that we go. And that's an awesome thing. Now God chose Joshua to be that leader who would fulfill the promises that he had given to Abraham. And his directions were really pretty clear. He had two real clear ones. The people of Israel were going to go across the river Jordan into Canaan and take possession of it. And the second was that Joshua, the son of Nun, would be the leader who would do that. And that was from God. So this was the promise of God that, that he gave to Joshua and, and the people of Israel. They trusted in the Lord their God. They trusted in the Lord their God. They put their faith and trusted him to guide them and lead them to, into Canaan. Now Joshua was one of those who had actually been a faithful believer all his life. You know, there were only two of them who came back from being spies in the land who said, yeah, we can do it. Remember, Joshua was one. Remember the other one? Just, oh, Caleb. Joshua and Caleb were the two who came back and said, God will deliver the Adam's big people, but look at all this cool stuff. You know, we got this grapes we're carrying together and all this, this wonders, it's a wonderful land. And everybody else is like, oh, I don't think we can go in there. Those people are really big. And Joshua and Caleb are like, let's go. And of course, the people of Israel, as they were wont to do, turned their back on God and took it out in the other direction. So that wasn't going to happen this time. 
what's going to happen. So Joshua and the people were standing on the bank of the Jordan, ready to go and possess the land that God had promised them. God's promises were coming true. Now, today we have so much more to grab hold of God's promise. We have the Bible, which gives us promise after promise that God has fulfilled. It helps us to discover all of these promises from God and, and that He is indeed faithful. We have Christ, and it's through Christ that so many of those promises ended up happening and being fulfilled. I love 2 Corinthians 1.20, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through Him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. See, Christ is our great yes. And it explains to us that the promises of God are, are going to be fulfilled and have been fulfilled in Jesus. He's the one we've been looking for. In Him we find the yes answer to so many of our questions. Was Jesus the Son of God? Yes. Was He the promised one who would take away the sins of the world? Yes, He was. Is. Is He our very present help in times of need? Yes. yes, He is. Does He provide direction to us in our lives? Yes, Jesus is the yes in our life. It's an awesome thing. He brings to us possibility and hope no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in. And back with Joshua, he was certainly, God was certainly speaking to him and through him. He promised Joshua that here's what's going to happen. And you know what he did? He delivered on that promise. You're going to go in and you're going to take the land. He was assured of victory earlier in, in, in verse 3. He was assured of victory in his endeavor. Joshua grabbed hold of those promises because Joshua was a man of faith. We put our faith in God. He believed God. He believed that what God was saying was going to happen, that the promises God was giving to him were going to come true, and he was willing to take the next step. And because of being willing to take that next step, God's power was available for Joshua. God told him, nobody's going to be able to stand up against you. And he did crazy stuff. Jericho, Remember Jericho? How did he win that battle? What kind of battle plan is that? Okay, let's line up and walk around the city in a circle. Okay, let's shout. What? We're going into Iraq. Okay, here's what we're going to do. But you know what God did? The walls came tumbling down. The people of Israel don't stand a chance of toppling that mighty fortress of the city. Yet it happened because of God. That's the key. We keep our eye on God. God is the faithful one. He is the deliverer, and He is the one that we need to always keep here. Compassion says, you know, meditate on His word. Learn, learn, learn to keep your eye on God. There's a story that centers on a king and members of his court who were continually full of flattery. They just were flattering him all the time. You're the greatest man that ever lived. You're the most powerful king of all. Your highness, there's nothing you can't do. Nothing in the world dares disobey you. But the king was a wise man, and he grew a little bit tired of hearing this, those foolish speeches. So one day, he's walking by the seashore, and he decided to teach him a lesson. So you say, I'm the greatest man in the world? Oh, king, there never has been anyone as mighty as you, and there never will be again, ever. And you say, all things obey me. Yes, sire, the world bows before you and gives you honor. 
I see, in that case, bring me my chair. Place it down by the water. So they scramble up, they grab the royal throne, they break it down, they put it in the sand. It's right by the water's edge. And the king sits down, looks at the ocean. I notice the tide is coming in. Do you think it'll stop if I tell it to? Give the order, O great king, and it will obey. See, I command you to come no further. Do not dare touch my feet. He waited a moment. The wave rushed up and laughed over his feet. How dare you! Ocean turns back. I have ordered you to retreat before me. I am the great king. You must retreat before me. And the next wave came in, covered him to his knees. See, how dare you! And he went on all afternoon, yelling and ranting and screaming at the ocean to stop coming forward. Finally, he turned to the servant and said, It seems I don't have quite so much power as you would have me believe. Perhaps now you will remember there is only one king who is all powerful. And it is he who rules the sea and holds the ocean in the hollow of his hand. I suggest you reserve your presence for him. The power of God, the same power that holds the earth together, that calms the sea, is available to us in our personal life gives us access to this awesome power through faith. Now verse 9 in this passage would have been a great comfort to both Joshua and to the people. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Do not be discouraged. The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. If they had any doubts, this would be sort of an anchor for them. Grab hold of and hang on to no matter what's going on. The beauty, though, is that we as Christians today have access to that same presence of God. It's our anchor if we choose to grab hold of it and hang on to it. It's given to us by Christ. It's described to us in the Word of God. Another story. The passengers on the bus watched sympathetically as the attractive young woman with a white cane made her way carefully up the steps. She paid the driver, and using her hands to feel the location of the seat, walked down the aisle and found the seat she had been told was empty. Then she settled in, placed her briefcase on her lap, and rested her cane against her leg. It had been a year since Susan, 34, became blind. Due to a medical misdiagnosis, she had been rendered sightless, and she was suddenly thrown into a world of darkness, anger, frustration, self-pity, despair. Once fiercely independent, she now felt completely dependent and condemned by that twist of fate that had caused her to go blind. She felt powerless and helpless and a burden to others in her life. How could this happen to me? How could this happen to me? But no matter how much she cried or ran or prayed, she knew the truth that her sight was never going to return. And all she had to cling to was her husband, Mark. Mark was an Air Force officer and he loved Susan with all his heart. Susan felt ready to return to her, lot, her job, but she didn't know how she was going to get there. So Mark, of course, stepped up and said, I'll drive you to work. Even though I work on the other side of town, I'll take you to work and I'll pick you up. And they started to do that. But it soon became, they became very aware that that wasn't going to work, that it just couldn't do it. So she was going to have to start taking the bus again. And she was horrified at the idea of trying to get to that bus. She was blind. She couldn't see how am I supposed to know where I'm going and where to get off? You're abandoning me, Mark. Mark's heart broke to hear those words, but he knew what had to be done. 
He promised Susan that each morning and evening he would ride the bus with her for as long as it took until she became comfortable riding the bus. And that's exactly what happened. For two solid weeks, Martha would get up, military uniform and all, accompany Susan, go to the bus, ride with her to work, and then would show up and ride with her home. He taught her how to rely on her senses, her hearing in particular, as she learned how to navigate through the wild, a world where she could not see. He made her laugh, even on those not so good days, and she would get to, to, to lose hope, or she'd drop a briefcase, or something would go wrong, or she'd trip. Finally, Susan decided that she was ready to try it on her own. Monday morning arrived, before she left, she threw her arms around Mark, gave him a big hug, said goodbye. For the first time, she went off on her own. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, each day went perfectly. Susan never felt better. She was doing it. She was doing it. Going to work on her own, and on Friday, the bus, on the bus, the driver said, Boy, I sure envy you. That didn't make sense to Susan. She said, Why in the world would you envy me? So she asked the driver, and he responded, It must feel so good to be taken care of and protected like you are. What are you talking about? Well, you know, every morning for the past week, fine-looking gentleman in a military uniform has been standing across the corner watching you when you get off the bus. He makes sure you cross the street. He watches you as you enter the office building. And he blows you a kiss, gives you a salute, and walks away. You're one lucky lady. God watches over us in that same way. We talked about grace last week. God's grace is always around us. And oftentimes, I think he probably is on the other side of the street, kind of watching us go, gosh, I hope you do the right thing. I hope you make the right decision. And I'm going to be here. Whether you trip, get on the bus. God loves you, even when you're not looking. Now, at Bolt Springs, there are no Moseses or no Joshua's in our transition. But, we are a people of faith. And we are a people of faith. And we can face the future with certainty the certainty that God is with us no matter what. As long as we seek his face, we get closer to him. We can face each day as Joshua did. We can face each day as Susan did, with God's purpose, promise, power, and presence to lead us forward, not backwards. See, when we reminisce about the past and lose sight of where God is taking us, that's when we get adrift. There's plenty of things going on that can pull us away from from going forward into the plan and the hope that God has for us, because he has the hope and a plan that to give us a future. And I hope that that's what we all do together, that we focus forward, that we see where is it that God is leading. We have much work to do as the body of Christ. If folks are going to come to know Jesus, they're going to first come to know us, and if they come to know us and they see him, that's our best chance at impact. That's my hope. 
that's what we're here.